0: Jimmy, so Jimmy, how was
1: your week, your weekend, all that good stuff?
0: Oh man. Well, don't want to start with a a really intense story, but uh, this has taken up my whole weekend. Uh, I have a dog. He's an older dog, 13 years old, little Dachshund. Uh, last year, he got cancer in his toe. He has bone cancer, so his toenail it starts. It started in his toe, so it grows thicker and in a weirder shape than his other toes the other day i was coming back from the grocery store and he was running around the, the place and uh i accidentally stepped on his foot and his toenail ripped off
1: oh, that sucks
0: yeah it was a intense moment for sure uh he didn't seem to notice i don't know if his like the adrenaline kicked in but he was more hyper than normal but yeah um uh, it's uh that took up pretty much my whole weekend, uh taking care of him, cleaning it out. You know, he does not want to be touched like you know, his he doesn't want anyone to touch his foot, so cleaning it out has been just intense. So that that's pretty much my whole weekend this week.
1: Well that sucks. I hope he's alright.
0: Uh he's doing really well right now. You know, I'm keeping it clean. He's uh He's uh, doing fine, uh, though he does have to wear the cone so he doesn't uh, lick it and get it infected. So He is currently wearing the cone, which uh, I don't think any dog enjoys the cone. If your dog enjoys the cone, please let me know.
1: I, I would be fascinated to know that
0: some dog enjoys that.
1: I think your assessment's fair. No dog enjoys it. I know my dog um, she's only ever had to have the cone once because she got an eye infection and to keep her from scratching her eye. And yeah, anytime I put it on her, she just looked defeated.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, it's this weird thing where I'm like, man, I don't want him to associate me with the cone because I, I'm putting the cone on him. I take the cone off for him to eat and I'm just like, I don't want the cone to be associated with me. So that's I'm in that predicament
1: right now. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. It's it's just never easy whenever something bad hap- or something bad happens to the dog. I mean, at least I guess he's recovering, but still.
0: Yeah, it is tough because, and it's that thing where, like, dogs can't just tell you, like, "Oh, this hurts," or like, "I'm doing fine right now," or you can't tell them, like, "Hey, if you don't lick your." wound i won't have to put the cone on you um so i guess our language barrier is hindering our relationship right now yes
1: uh i still have an issue with my dog um because she's young puppy and everything to where she just doesn't listen like i know she's not hard of hearing because she reacts she responds to noise all the time But, like, she'll jump on the table to get fine food and eat that and stuff. And I'll say, no, no, cut off. Don't do that. You know, things like that. And she just continues as she was. Like, she just doesn't listen to anything I have to say.
0: That's always interesting. And I remember this comedian talking about this joke about how it's interesting how dogs don't listen to people. Because, like, we're giants to them. And how they just... Don't care, and like if a giant came to me and told me, like started yelling at me or telling me, like pointing and doing stuff, I would listen because like that giant could squish me. But dogs don't have the same kind of uh, mindset as we do.
1: Mm -hmm. They don't. I wonder what goes on. I think, I think she cares first and foremost about whatever it is is on her mind, and yeah, that's pretty much what it boils down to. (laughs) yeah anytime she just starts to just she starts doing something I'll yell and or raise my voice not really yell eventually she'll like relent but usually it doesn't go that easily
0: yeah I don't have too many problems
1: with my dog right now
0: you know he is an older dog so but he used to back when I would get home from work and I'd be hungry and I would set my food I would sometimes set my food down on my little table And be like, oh, I forgot my drink. And go to the fridge and get my drink. And then my food would be gone. He would eat my food in like a second. When he was younger. Any chance my dog has to get a hamburger or something not dog food related, he is over it. And then he acts like nothing's happening. He's like, where did that hamburger go? I don't know. I've just been
1: sitting here. My dog is the exact same way. Well, yeah, she is pretty similar in the sense that... With my old dog, uh, if she could, if she did something that she got in trouble with, like, she knew she was in trouble, I would call her name and then she would just, like, cower and be like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. My current dog, I'll be like, what did you do? What did you chew up? And she'll just look at me, but she'll have, like, zero shame as if, like, yeah, I did that. What are you going to do about it?
0: It's like, you didn't want me to chew this up? I don't
1: understand. Pretty much Dogs are, dogs are awesome, though. We took her to the beach this weekend. I think it was her not her first time ever at a beach, but the first time at this beach. So she had fun running around in the sand.
0: Oh, fun. I, def- I A couple of my friends want to plan a camping trip, and I'm, I'm debating whether I want to bring my dog or not, but we'll see. I guess it just depends how long the drive is.
1: Yeah, I mean, some dogs don't do great with with drives. Granted, your dog might be just fine. I'm guessing, but I'm just comparing it to mine. Like, I know if I took her, she'd be gone in the woods, and I'd have no idea where she went, and that'd be that. Um, But you know, if your dog listens or somewhat behaves, you might be fine.
0: Hmm. I do. I've never had a problem with him in the car. I do uh, have a like a funny story. Uh, I live in Texas, uh, but every now and then I kind of do like small gigs every somewhere here or there. And I got a call to, if I could be in Chicago the next day to do something, Uh, but I had no one to watch my dog. So basically I packed my dog up in my car and I drove 13 hours to Chicago and, uh, he definitely got a little motion sick. I don't think he's been used to being in the car for 13 hours, but yeah you know, I guess if it's 13 plus who gets sick anything under he's fine
1: gotcha I guess that makes sense like i i mean I, when you think about it from a dog's perspective they have no idea what's going on like they know that they're in a car and now just things are going and it's kind of weird like they're just like i okay we're we're moving i guess and uh yeah I have no idea what's happening.
0: True, yeah. I, that is interesting. You know, I feel like we're never going to get to as humans experience, kind of not understanding what our surroundings are.
1: But then again, maybe we don't, like, I know it's one of those crazy talks and whatnot, but it's like, like maybe we don't know as much as we think we do, and we just think we know a lot because, I don't know, we, we just assume everything we see is what's there, but Kind of like the old, um, what is it, Plato's cave paradox or whatever, um, or that story. Kind of the same idea that we all we've seen is shadows, and we just assume that's reality because that's all we can see. But there's more out there. Yeah, no, just like really deep stuff. Next, I'll talk about Theseus' ship and vision and all that stuff.
0: Oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I do know when I saw the
1: Matrix for the first
0: time, I definitely. Which didn't think, like, am I in the Matrix? Is this a Matrix? So, I guess we do experience it somewhat.
1: Well, there's a lot of people who say, um, like, what, we're living in a simulation or something? Or we're living, like, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess essentially what, essentially we are living in, like, a video game or something like that. Which... Always fun to think about, I guess. I mean, I don't know how you would actually prove it, but it's a fun thought experiment, I suppose.
0: Oh, true. Man. If we're living in simulation, I hope I get
1: an upgrade soon. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like like my life. Uh, it, it feels like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, if if I if life's actually a video game, then I think whoever is playing as my character, just skip through all the tutorial section. <laughs>
0: I don't know. I'm waiting for like the Jimmy expansion pack, you know, where it gives me like a mansion, a lot of cool stuff.
1: Maybe you got to play to win nowadays. You, you got to pay to play or whatever that is. They call DLC all that fun stuff.
0: Oh, the person playing as me is like really cheap. probably. Uh, I can just, you know, I just need the basics. He's he's doing fine in the game right now. He's like, I don't want to pay mm-hmm. for
1: extra stuff. Oh, no. I, I got the guy who doesn't have a credit card, so he can't pay for stuff online. So yeah. he has to wait every twenty four hours for free stuff.
0: Man, that would explain why
1: isn't, like certain people win the lottery. Like their person upgraded. Mm hmm. Yeah, their person bought a like a, a unique DLC. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, I am ready to jump into, well, what I think was a fantastic episode, and I think everybody else is going to agree to, or a fantastic set of episodes, um, which is, like, if we could do four episodes, we sh- like, we like this would have been perfect, and while this episode's going to be great, next episode's going to be awesome, but yeah, want to jump into it?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm ready.
1: Awesome. So... Today, we are doing episode 32. We have, what, two or three more episodes left to do of the podcast. Uh, Oops. And, um, yeah, so that's going to be pretty fun. And let's see. We have episode 60, Eye of Heaven, Gateway of Earth. And episode 61, He Who Would Swallow God. Of course, we're going to start with 60 first. So we go back to that uh, radio station that we saw in uh, one of the earlier episodes where they are where they have the Fuhrer's wife and they're doing the broadcast and stuff. Some soldiers are approaching the door, and so naturally everybody inside thinks that, you know, this is going to be one of those situations where the soldiers are going to raid them and try to steal their place or whatever or, or, or take over. So they're, they're, they're getting prepared to fight. But then the soldiers say, well, no, this is just one person. And they want to come in. Sure enough, it's uh, it's Denny who wants to come in. And he wants to see Maria Ross. And so they're finally united. And that's really awesome. Uh, then we see Mrs. Bradley mention that she wants to see her husband. But it's warned that it might not be a good idea right now. We go back to our throne room. And Father is mocking Ed for rejecting the truth. Remember where we ended last episode with Ed being upset that truth took from... Mustang, even though Mustang technically uh, didn't open the gate, he was forced to. Uh, So just because, you know, he's successful in capturing us doesn't mean we still can't take him down. So they decide to fight. And I guess father didn't turn off his alchemy or whatever uh, like he normally does. So I guess he felt that there was no purpose, whatever uh azumi suggests helping mustang escape since mustang can't see but father says well there is no escape because you're already on my stomach and then we noticed that uh in the area where wrath and and scar and reason all of them are the ground has become bubbly like this weird sludge so they're not able to go down and help mustang Rath mentions that Mustang is down there with his father and you know he's alive but he can't ver- or he can't vouch for what physical shape he's in. Mei Chang decides to go on him with Father. She says that he has a secret of mortality and she wants it. She asks Ed to deal with the smaller homunculus, which is kind of interesting seeing that little confidence she has. Ed is wondering how they were able to put Mustang through the gateway. And Mustang says that he heard Pride claim that they were short of time and they had to do this. So basically, it's not something that they want to do because it comes at a heavy cost to them. And we kind of see that Pride's face is deteriorating. So, his uh, yeah, his body's just breaking down. Ed attacks Pride. And realizes that pride is largely running versus using his shadows, which might mean that he is running low on power. Mei Cheng attacks father, but he returns fire. Like he, she throws one of her knives at him, and then he absorbs it and then return, like makes it a hundred times larger and throws it back at her. Uh, let's see. May refuses to give up and tries to pin father with spikes so she causes these spikes to come out of the ground and Kind of pin him up into the sky, but She doesn't realize that he is not actually injured and he attacks her We see that the eclipse is getting closer and closer to being a total eclipse the ishvalans are running around they're knocking out soldiers entering houses all being very polite mind you because they aren't trying to actually cause any problems they're actually just trying to lay down these pieces of paper throughout the country and they claim it is now up to scar to finish the job scar and wrath are about to square off wrath actually enjoys this just the idea that there's these two nameless people who are going to fight And they aren't fighting for anything other than survival. So, you know, they're not fighting to protect the country or anything like that. Or I guess uh, Rath himself rather isn't. He's just fighting to survive. And he says, hey, I've never felt so alive as I do right now. So they begin to fight and Wrath, of course, is a good fighter, but he's still pretty, he's still slower than normal. Like we even see him go to attack, but then he stops to cough up blood. Uh, but he is still a decent fighter and giving Scar a run for his money. Now he is able to successfully pin down Scar by stabbing him through his you know, attack arm. And he thinks that he's Got him down for the kill, but then Scar uses his free arm to create some spikes out of the ground and attack him. Naturally, Wrath is taken completely off guard, surprised, injured from the attack. And Scar reveals that he has the tattooed transmutation circle of reconstruction on his other arm now. He has relented because obviously he is very much against alchemy, being that his religion forbids it. But when he considered what the alternative would be if he didn't use alchemy, he gave up and decided that he would accept both destruction and reconstruction. Back in the father fight, Alphonse goes to protect May as Ed handles pride. Father knocks May down. Uh, She's kind of out cold for a little bit. And he makes a gun and tries to shoot her, but Alphonse protects her with his metal body. Pride is able to get the drop on Ed a bit, and he mocks Ed because, you know, because Ed is short. We all know that. And because he's short, Ed's only used to fighting big people and figuring out how to fight big people. So he's not able to figure out how to fight somebody smaller than him. But then Ed Ed pointed out that, well, you don't, you know, you underestimate me just because I'm short. I know all the tricks that short people use to uh, to win fights. And he is able to knock out pride a little bit. Father is getting bored with all this. Time's up. He needs to do what he needs to do. So he sends out some tendrils and pins all the sacrifices to the ground. The eclipse is just about to... Complete and we see above ground people are looking at the eclipse through their little cardboard things we even see like the uh, The Hughes family and others we see the senior staff that have been captured by the Central and Briggs soldiers Just starting to freak out saying that they need to be in the center Father then states that the planet itself can be seen as one large life form or a large nervous system And it has memories of everything that has happened since the beginning of time, so he thinks that the planet may have its own gateway in the same way that people do. Father plans to sacrifice the Five in order to open the planet's gateway for his own purposes. Before he's able to enact this, though, Greed appears out of nowhere and attacks Father, turning him into a puddle. We're led to believe that Greed has won and saved them, but Father is fine. And he even mentions that he expected Greed to show up because, well, Greed is Father's avarice, Father's Greed. So anything Greed desires, Father desired first. Hornheim tries one last attack on Father but fails. It turns out that the center of the world, the center of his transmutation circle, is where that chess set was. So he goes over, hits it, and activates the transmutation circle. We then start to see, like, darkness fall over the country, and then the gate of all five sacrifices opens, so we see, like, a little eye appear on their stomach, and they begin to essentially conflict with each other, so I guess they're, the energy they're given off is highly unstable and whatnot, and Father's kind of absorbing it tendrils then come out of the ground like throughout all of the and people's souls are being pulled into the center well people are just starting to pass out everywhere like I think we see Winry and Panaco and Rosa and just like people in Central people in Rush Valley people risen everywhere are passing up, out everybody's passing out Winry as she passes out asks Ed for help. Father opens the gate of the planet and becomes massive. Like we actually see the planet and then we see two, two doorways similar to the gate open over the planet. And Father is like the size of a small moon. He reaches out towards the eclipse. And apparently when the moon eclipses the sun, this creates kind of a, a celestial gate, if you will. He opens this gate, and he tries to pull God, the dark being, from inside the gate down. And the episode ends with him like successfully pulling the celestial gate down to him. And like a, we just see a giant flash with Father in the center. So it looks like Father succeeded. What are some of your thoughts? Uh,
0: this episode was... Uh... I, I loved this episode. I feel like I'm going to say that for the last few episodes we have. Uh, everything's that we've been building up to is is finally happening. We have our whole team uh, assembled. Kind of. And I like how we... Um, everyone who's seen Truth, the Truth, or Truth, has... Uh, is pretty, like awesome like fighters and really uh the top notch of uh, like alchemy or really not not just strong alchemists but like strong fighters too um you know we all those characters you you don't really see any like uh throwaway people down there so uh this episode really got me pumped and i really love how may's down there too very uh unexpected out of all the characters you know i wouldn't have expected may to be down there but it was pretty cool seeing her uh not just be like uh you know i, I i'll take on father but she's like i want to take on father like i need to do this and I, that's pretty cool
1: Hmm. i thought that was interesting like i don't know if she just was she just overconfident that she thought she could take on father by herself or or what was the deal? She's just like, yeah, I've got this down. I can take him. You guys just keep the small homunculus away from me. (laughs) And she just, she tries, she fails, but she tries. And it's all, it's just like, okay, well, I mean, you know, credit to you for giving it a shot.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, she does she goes in full force like not even kind of uh she's like I'm gonna attack you head on and she goes head on uh doesn't pay off in her favor but man she is one brave character and another thing another character who yes uh, she's a great fighter and we've seen her do her outcastry. which is amazing but to see her become more and more of a, I don't know, braver character. And she's fighting for people she don't she doesn't even know. Like, this isn't even her country.
1: Yeah. Though, though to be fair, she said she's fighting because he has the secret to immortality. So, I don't even think she's fighting. I, I mean, based on what she said, I think she's just fighting because she wants the answers to immortality. Um, and like saving the country might be a secondary thing, I don't
0: know. Though, remember, she had greed and she kind of already had like she thought she already had the answer to immortality, like this was gonna already be something. And she got talked into going back and now she's scared. right? right? Well, because because she lost greed,
1: right? Well, remember,
0: oh, well, not greed, well, remember,
1: and w- uh, envy, N- B- B- yeah. Rem- Remember when Envy was in the um, jar and stuff, he told her, like, well, granted, he convinced her two ways. Like, one, all the these nice people are in danger. But then he also said, like, how impressive is it going to be for you to bring a half-dead homunculus to your emperor? If you go back to Central, you can find the real secrets to immortality. So she's still, like, on the immortality hunt like that was the main reason she went back to central and i i feel like her saving people is secondary like it's still there like she still wants to do it but i think her main reason for going to central was to find more immortality huh.
0: i'm on a different i feel like yes she's there for the immortality like secret but we've seen time and time in these last few episodes where she's kind of she's pushed that to the back burner over helping people. I I do feel like, yes, she wants this, but I think she cares about these people more. Like I don't know, I, it's hard to explain, but I do think it's like people first, and then this second. Now, I do believe in the beginning it was the other way around, but I think the more time she spent with the the crew and getting to know these people, and just getting to know, um. Uh, I guess in another world, you know, you're so focused in on, like, your circle and your group of people and the people you need to help, and then when you step out you kind of see, like, oh, there's more people that need help, and these people are just like my people. I don't know if she's kind of feeling that way, but in my eyes, it seems like she's putting people first, and then the secret second. I, that's just my opinion.
1: Yeah, could be. Either way, I think it's it's always fun to have her on board and have her cause she's it's almost like in a way she is comic relief, but then she's also still like very serious, very capable, all of that. Like they don't hold back on her just because she's a little girl. When I mean, we see father just shoot at her, so Yeah,
0: and I do I love seeing the if Ishvalens kind of setting up this uh, other transmutation circle. It's I I love Mm -hmm. seeing them do their part, and I love Scar's story. Uh, I still wish we would have called him X. I feel like that's a missed opportunity, but I love his story. It's like almost coming full circle in a sense, where he's accepting this other part of him, uh, realizing that. Mm-hmm. there's more to all this than just uh one side of the story i don't i don't know i i just see like this growth in scar that's changed i don't know like I, I you watch this all the time in like tv shows nowadays where you have this villain character and then you learn something about them and i don't know if if it's enough to redeem scar i don't know do you think scar is redeemed or can be redeemed
1: I think he can be redeemed. I don't think it'll be a single selfless act or anything. Well, maybe it will be, who knows. But, like, I think he can be redeemed in the sense that I don't think he's evil, so to speak. He was just misguided and acting out of anger from what we think was, a. I mean, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? It was clearly a bad situation. Like, he having his whole country killed, have his people brutally killed off and his family killed, I think that would naturally make anybody angry. He wasn't evil for evil's sake. And I think he's starting to realize that, you know, two wrongs don't make it right kind of thing. Him acting out of anger and vengeance doesn't make him the holy warrior. So I think he can, I I ultimately do think he can be redeemed.
0: I always think about this. I watch another show called uh, The Walking Dead. And there's a lot of characters in there that do horrible things. And then they kind of... You get to see that the the show wants them to redeem this character. But I'm always like, can, can we forget what this character's done in the past? Because, you know, Scar was just killing innocent... Uh, State Alchemist. Like, he went after um, Ed, and Ed had nothing to do with the war.
1: True. The, most, all, uh, well, the ones we've seen anyway, the ones that he did kill were all ones that seemed to take part in the ish Civil War. Not necessarily saying that it's right, but at least he went for them. But then, yeah, he did anybody with the title of State Alchemist he went after and then anybody who kind of anybody who got in his way of his uh, of his I guess rampage also uh, were killed
0: yeah I understand kind of and not like I brought it up because I do like how it does seem like he's accepting um, kind of his brother's ways in a sense Uh, so I find this interesting that we're seeing kind of in such a short amount of time, actually, to see Scar kind of go through all these emotions and kind of coming to this conclusion while he's fighting uh, Wrath. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah, I forget. There's an actual name for, like, the thought experiment or something, but it's like the idea of would you... Like, the moral good or the moral superiority or whatever you want to call it... Um, the idea of like you, you you have your religious beliefs or your tenets that you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't you don't murder or let's let's I, I guess using his example, you, you don't use alchemy, it's a sin, it's an abomination. However, like do you would you use it if it was the only way to save somebody's life? Like would in that case, wouldn't God be more interested in you saving somebody's life versus following dogma? Kind of the letter of the law, spirit of the law thing. Mm-hmm. So I think that's I, I do like that they kind of brought that up because it's like he is very steadfast in his beliefs about alchemy and whatnot. Uh, the only reason, like he didn't even really choose to have the destruction of alchemy. When you think about it, his now granted, obviously I guess he could choose not to use it. But like his brother grafted that arm onto him, so he just he has that arm. It's not something he chose to do, but yeah. Now, now he chooses to put in the the construction alchemy and use that for saving the country.
0: Yeah, i I am enjoying. uh, Well, I definitely am loving Scar on this side of the team. You know, it's great having him work with you than work against you.
1: Mm mm-hmm yeah so I, i like that i like seeing everybody fight and then ultimately we i mean we end this episode granted we'll see in the upcoming episode but we end this episode with them ultimately losing this is like it's almost like watching infinity war and you get to the end when everybody's turned to dust and you learn like oh they lost but then you're also like but we know another movies coming out or in this case like we know there's more episodes so what's going to happen
0: it is jarring kind of seeing everyone in the city uh yeah they show you characters that we know but it is a little jarring seeing all the characters kind of just fall down and you know what's going on
1: yeah they have no idea what's going on because like the the concept of the gate in of itself isn't even that well known amongst just regular alchemists like we saw in the earlier episode um alex armstrong mentioning that the brothers told him about the gate of truth but he has no idea what the gate of truth actually is so stands to reason the general population has no idea what it is so they have no idea what's happening when all of a sudden everything turns dark and these hands come out and they feel they're they've, they've I mean, I don't even know if they can comprehend what's happening when their souls are being ripped from their body.
0: Yeah, and I do... I did enjoy that the other generals knew what was going on. Like, the ones trapped inside the circle. I I don't know. I just... I enjoyed the just desserts of it all, that they were planning to do this to all these people, and now they're trapped in their own trap. It is crazy to see father open up this giant door and then we get another giant door opening and you know, he's trying to, I guess we figure out his plan.
1: Yeah. He finally, you know, explains what the sacrifices are. He just, I guess he needed, we see him force their gates open too, so to speak. Like, they're all tied up in his tendrils, so it's not like they're doing alchemy. To I mean, there's not even a transmutation circle that they're they're clapping and touching or anything like that. He's holding them down, but he's like forcing their each individual's gate open because I guess every person has their own gate of truth, forcing them all open, and all they, we see the tendrils come out and. I guess that's like the representation, physical representation of the energy of the gate, and yeah, I think he just needed... The way he made it sound like is he needed all of those gates. Oh, he needed five gates open, and I guess that would generate enough energy for him to open the planet's gate, because the planet's gate is not something that you can just simply open up on a whim, I guess.
0: Yeah, and then like... We see him not reach up to something, but in fact try to pull something down. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. And then kinda a a little bit of a cliffhangery ending that we're getting this episode. And man, father does want everything.
1: Yep, it's indeed, but let's go ahead and I guess if unless you have something else, let's go ahead and see what happens with father and everybody in the room and uh, I'm
0: ready that. to jump in.
1: All right, so let's look at episode sixty-one, he who would swallow God. The episode opens with a flashback to the younger Alec brothers, like they're they're younger to where Alphonse has his actual body and Ed has both of has all of his human limbs. They're reading a book, an alchemy book talking about the sun representing masculinity and the moon representing femininity uh when they eclipse or when they merge whatever term you want to use they become one a perfect being i'll think the perfect being means something like immortality but ed thinks it could mean something deeper and greater like maybe god we jump back to the end of the previous episode father is telling God to join him, that he's pulling him down, that he's going to force God to be a part of him. We see a mistress in the shadow of the eclipse, and everybody, as we expect, is just passed out. Like, it's dead quiet. Bodies are just lying everywhere. And yeah, it's, it's just super eerie. We go back to the throne room. Ed and team are alive, and they're looking around. And they see Father, and he's in a third form. He's in a its all, he, hes in like I guess a the body of a twenty-something, maybe maybe early thirties, or uh, of a, of an adult man who's svelte and fit and whatnot. So this is the new body he's created for himself. Father was able to acquire God, so we get kind of an idea of what his grand plan was. His grand plan was to absorb God's power and become God uh, by pulling God out of the gate of truth uh, through the celestial gate. Um, The purposes of the sacrifices, as I mentioned earlier, were essentially to open the planet's gate because if he opens all of their individual gateways, it generates enough energy for him to open the planet's gateway. Uh, he needed this to happen exactly when the, full, when the uh, solar eclipse took place because this would be the only time that he would be able to open the Celestial Gate. And he needed to create a large Philosopher's Stone, uh, Mestris having 50 million people. Uh, he needed that because the energy of that Philosopher's Stone would allow him to contain God. Uh, Hohenheim kind of explains that this is only possible because he has such a large Philosopher's Stone and obviously they're all taken aback by the fact that he was able to absorb everybody in a mistress. Ed prepares to attack Father, but then Father does this thing where he turns off everyone's alchemy. He creates a small sun with real, you know, a nuclear fusion in his hand and threatens to loo- let it loose and kill them all. I mean, this is just him kind of flexing what his power is. Uh, and of course, he has no use for them anymore now because they've done their job. All of a sudden, Father feels something weird inside of him. Hohenheim mentions that he and his Philosopher's Stone have been plotting against Father since Father had started his plan. Uh, he had a plan B all ready to go. He spent years tirelessly trying to calculate the exact right spots on Father's transmutation circle in order to create, I guess, uh, another transmutation circle. He then put points of uh, the different points on the transmutation circle into the soil by ripping out parts of his philosopher's stone and then letting the soil soak them up. As we know, uh, Fa- not father, but Hohenheim has been communicating with all the souls since the day that he became a philosopher's stone. And so they've maintained their individuality. So we see that even though they're no longer in his body and they're underground, they're still like, we don't actually see them, but we hear their voices. They're still cognizant and whatnot. And they talk about how, yeah, we don't, you know, our bodies have been long gone, so we have nowhere to return. But the souls of a mistress, their bodies are still around, so they can return to their bodies and so they are going to activate another transmutation circle. Father mocks them because it's like, well, you just have points. That's, that's no big deal. I mean, basics of alchemy. You need an actual transmutation circle to pull that off. And Father is shocked to learn that Hohenheim does have a transmutation circle. The shadow that the moon casts on the earth during the eclipse is a circle that's large enough for it to activate itself. And that's exactly what happens. The souls from the Philosopher's Stone of Hohenheim activate this circle uh, that is countrywide. It covers the entire country of the mistress. And it effectively reverses what Father did, causing him to spit out all 50 million souls, and they all return back to their bodies because, you know, it was only but a few minutes ago that they left, so they knew how to get back to their bodies. And everybody slowly wakes up. Now that Father only has his original Philosopher's Stone, Hohenheim figures that he likely doesn't have the energy needed to contain God anymore. Father is angry, and he says he'll just make another Philosopher's Stone. He'll he'll find millions, if not a billion people, to make a stone that he needs uh <clears throat> he attacks like he sends out an energy orb at everybody but Hohenheim is able to deflect it and toss it up and it kind of tears through multiple layers of ground and, ex- and exits the uh exits the ground and goes up into the sky and everything making holes in the ceiling uh he then attacks again father but Mei is able to deflect it by using the basics of Alghastri, using the same energy against Father. He uh, then attacks a third time, but this time it's like an like a, uh, energy beam or an energy blast, so it's a consistent attack. Hohenheim is blocking it with his hands, but we see that his hands are starting to kind of like deteriorate uh, from the energy being ex- uh, exerted against him. And he's coming loose, or he's not... Co- we see that the Alkahestry circle is starting to come loose. The little daggers are starting to shake. And Hohenheim's not confident that he can hold it anymore. Just then, both of his children, Ed and Al, uh, show up behind him to hold him up so that he can continue holding uh, back the energy. Edward starts to wonder where's, what's taking scars so long. So then we jump right back to... Scar and Wrath. They are fighting very, very viciously. And during this whole time, Wrath is mocking Scar for using alchemy because alchemy is considered abhorrent to the to Ishval, their god. Wrath then begins to mock Scar and his belief in god in general. It's just like, hey, would you be willing to abandon your god so easily? You know, do you just not care what he thinks, everything? And then he starts to taunt him, talking about, like, do you even think your God exists? You allowed all of your people to suffer, yada, yada, yada. Wrath is able to get the drop on Scar, pin him down, and it's about to finish him off. And he states that, you know, did you ever think in your mind that God didn't exist at all? All of a sudden, the eclipse ends. So a little bit of light comes out from behind the moon, and it actually reflects off of uh off of wrath's sword temporary blinding him and scar uses that opportunity to lay a fatal blow on on wrath by touching him and causing his arms to effectively just blow up uh, uh, wrath's arms with wrath's last bit of strength he is able to grab a piece of his blade that's fall, uh, falling in the sky or falling to the ground, grabs it with his mouth and he stabs Scar in the abdomen. Both men then just fall to the ground. Wrath <laughs> then mentions that he never believed in God, but he thinks maybe this is some kind of justice that, they, uh, that they're that pull, they pulling on him for that. Lan Fawn appears and Wrath is, you know, figures, okay, well, Lan Fawn's going to finish the job now. Lonfon asks Wrath if he has any last words. Wrath says he has none. Lonfon then kind of mocks him, just saying how sad his life must be. Does he have nobody that he loved? Wrath says that he loved his wife. And Lonfon says, You you don't have anything to say to her. Then Wrath mentions, You know, hey, I chose her. I chose her for me. She knows what it means to be the the husband. She knows what it means to be the wife of the Fuhrer. Uh, There's no more words to be passed between us. Wrath then mocks Lanfan for asking stupid questions, because now she's lost her opportunity to get revenge. Uh, We then start to see Wrath, like, just rapidly age. And, well, yeah, he dies. Lawn approaches his corpse because she senses something and she pulls out the Philosopher's Stone that Bradley had in his pocket. Uh, the same one that the Doctor had earlier. Scar asks long to take him to the transmutation circle, the, the one the Doctor used earlier, but she mentions, well, the circle's broken, so what good could it be? Scar says he knows, but it is the exact center, so he needs to go there. Scar prepares to use the transmutation circle, and he wonders if he could actually save Amestris, the country that he hates. He uses the nationwide transmutation circle to do his own alchemy, And then we see that Ed and Al, and pretty much everybody are now able to use their alchemy and Ed uses it to destroy father's throne. Through both Scar and Hohenheim, we get some exposition. Scar's brother studied alchemy, and then he studied alchemy. He learned that you know, alchem alchemists they use the dragon's pulse, kind of the earth's own chi, in order to power their alchemy. Whereas alchemists use energy from the tectonic plates. However, he noticed that something was blocking that out al- the uh that energy and ultimately resulting in alchemists not being able to tap into their full power uh father had created essentially like a a nationwide network of tunnels and I guess these like little pipes and whatnot that are almost like veins because they go to his the back of his back and he used his philosopher's stone to essentially block the access to the tectonic energy from alchemist so they were essentially drawing from him not from the planet and so that's why he was able to just turn off alchemy whenever he wanted to through alka and alchemy and all of his research scar's brother was able to figure out how to use the nationwide transmutation circle to fix the alchemy and that is essentially what happened So now everyone is ready to fight Father and stop him. They all attack. They use their alchemy. Um, Hohenheim says that they, they need to essentially cause Father to run out of energy to use up what's left of his Philosopher's Stone, and that's the only way they can beat him. Father is getting bored by this, so he decides to escape to the surface. That way, he can find more bodies to steal the souls from and create a new Philosopher's Stone. So everybody decides to go on after him. Uh, Well, everyone minus Ed. Pride has Ed's arm wrapped up in his tendrils and apparently has some unfinished business. Ed tells them all to go along and he'll deal with Pride. As everybody's going along, Mustang runs into Riza and mentions that he's blind. But he asks Risa if she's all right and if she can still fight, and she says yes. Uh, We see Greed. He appears in front of Fawn, and then he notices Wrath's dead body, and he's kind of pissed off because Wrath died with a smile on his face. We jump back down. Pride is upset that Greed essentially defected and sided with the humans. Edward kind of mocks Pride because... While Father, they're so loyal to Father, yet Father clearly has no interest in protecting them because he just ditched, he he just ditched Pride as he's deteriorating. Well, Pride's container is not going to last much longer. He decides that because Father and Ed are both technically of Hohenheim's bloodline, that means that pride can use Ed's body as his next container, so he starts to use his tendrils to try to force his way into Ed's body. But all of a sudden, he stopped. Turns out, Kimberly's soul, which is still inside of Pride, if we remember Pride eating him in an earlier episode, Kimberly was able to maintain his individuality and is fighting or holding back Pride from being able to attack pride is taken aback that one kimberly is able to maintain his sentience and he's he pretty much just says like the tempest of souls are a lullaby to him so they didn't at all cause him to go crazy and pride asks kimberly well, why are you even interfering and kimberly basically says that pride is a monculus and you know he's supposed to be prideful and he sees himself as being superior to humans however once the going gets tough Rather than dying with honor, he decides to retreat into a human, which he considers a lower life form. Uh, Kimberly sees this as disgraceful and won't let Pride succeed in his plan. While Pride and Kimberly are arguing, this gives Ed the opportunity to escape. So Ed is able to set himself free, and then he transmutes uh, Pride's body. He essentially turns his energy into a philosopher's stone enters into pride and destroys pride's philosopher's stone reverting him into like i guess what his true form is which looks like this little weird fetus ed then puts the little fetus thing on the ground and walks away and the episode ends there with ed getting ready to join everybody on the surface for the fight so a lot to unpack here what were your thoughts
0: Again, I do feel like I say this often in this podcast, but this might be one of my favorite episodes. I loved this episode so much. Just, it was everything I needed. It's just action. Uh, There is some great story in there, but I, I just enjoyed all the kind of, uh, fighting going on, I love them taking on Father, and that was awesome. And just seeing Father kind of try to wield this power was pretty cool too.
1: Yep, I mean, we think almost immediately that it's over because he's he's gained godlike power. He uses his alchemy or he uses his skill to turn off their alchemy, re- rendering them harmless, except for I guess you know. Um, since he has a Philosopher's Stone, Hohenheim can still technically fight. Because she uses Alka, so he may can. But, yeah, pretty much they're all powerless. And then he creates a, a sun in his hand just to kind of flex how strong he actually is. And at that point, we're thinking, well, this is over. But, yeah, it looks like Hohenheim had a, had his number the whole time and was prepared to take him down from the get-go.
0: And I guess this is, like, the journey Hohenheim's been on uh i believe this is I, I don't know if it truly is but you know when he had to leave his sons and his wife i feel like this is what he was doing like leaving the piece of the philosopher's so and the souls all around
1: yes absolutely because i think he he like I, I don't think this was something especially considering i think this technologically wise is similar to say 1920s europe so it's not like they had satellites or anything to do the calculations of where everything needs to be like he he needed to travel across the country over the course of a few years in order to figure out exactly where to lay these philosophers Stones. so he didn't leave his family just because He didn't want, you know, he was a deadbeat dad or he didn't want to spend time with his kids or anything. Like he left them because he needed to stop father from pulling off his plans. We even see that it's it's kind of alluded to in one of the earlier episodes where Hohenheim is like looking at maps and he he says like he says something to the effect of I can't believe he's going to do it again or something like that. So it's like he at this point, he realizes that another nationwide transmutation is underway and he needs to do something to stop it
0: i i enjoy that so it's like another great insight into who and i as a father it's like um i have to leave my children which is i i don't have any kids but i i would imagine it's just like a incredibly tough thing to do as a parent but he's leaving them to save them you know if he doesn't do this then father could succeed
1: Exactly that that was his whole thing as he was doing this to save his kids and save his family and everything because yeah if 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 one nobody there's going to be no one else I guess in his mind there's no one else who can stop father because there's no one else who would probably even know that such a thing's happening I mean people don't even know what happened in. And uh, in Xerxes, they just know that one night it vanished. They don't know anything about a transmutation circle and stuff. So yeah, he, I think he feels like you know it's his duty to. He's the only one who can save the world and and whatnot.
0: And I I I love getting that insight into father and him like and I love when a character when a villain feels so cocky and they're like I got it all. And I love when the hero's like, well, actually. And that's kind of what um, Hohenheim did to uh, Father. He was like, well, actually, you know, you didn't win because you think I haven't been doing anything, but I've actually been setting up a bigger trap for you. Yes.
1: Uh, he was, he like, and he also, he said he's using the moon, or the shadow of the moon to be the transmutation circle. That way it could still activate even if something were to happen to him. So it didn't need him to activate it. It was like self-activating. So he was always prepared to to deal with, with father.
0: And that was great. But on the other note, we have all the souls come back to
1: their bodies.
0: And I know we've seen the souls before, um, like in the Philosopher's Stones and different, different of the homunculuses that we've seen, or homunculi, however it is, that we've seen in the series. And the souls are kind of always screaming, but when they come back into their, the Mestrians, when they come back into their bodies and Winry is talking and she's describes us being in like uh, just a place of anguish. And now we really truly know how these souls feel constantly when they're stuck in that philosopher's stone. Cause we've had people being in there and then be brought back to their bodies.
1: Yep. Yeah, they got they were they were gone for a spell, but now they're back to I guess they're back to normal. It's it's weird to think about it that, that way and I you know, it's like what what do you think went through their heads too just because I I, I mean like you know they, they seem to know that they were gone, but I don't know if they fully understand exactly what happened to them. See,
0: I don't think they understand that they were in a Philosopher's Stone, but
1: I do think they understand
0: that they did leave their bodies and they did go somewhere, and now they're back.
1: Yeah, they, they understood something happened to them, but uh, gosh, it's just, it, it is insane to think about that but man father father had a short-lived a short-lived win there
0: true and just when winry said that like i don't know they always find a way to make the philosopher's stone more and more horrible like you know we understood the cost of a philosopher's stone is souls, and then we kind of see the souls bubbling up and now we know exactly how the souls are feeling it's just like I don't even know how someone could be around a philosopher stone.
1: Yeah, well, I'm guessing unless you're one of the uh, the uh, what's the face these shingies people who have the ability to read chi and stuff. But it seems like most people, when they see a Philosopher's stone, don't really feel anything. But yeah, it's like if once you know what they are, it's like how can you how can how can you use one?
0: True and. And then we get this cool battle with, uh, you know, our uh, truth-seeing heroes, plus May, Mei. And Mei's doing her, are, like, awesome thing again. Kind of giving them a protective shield while they're fighting. And it's really great to see kind of Father on the other end of this getting his butt kicked.
1: Yes, he is not able to handle himself. And then, of course... I, there's the Scar fight, uh, that I liked. I mean, we had two really good fights, uh, aside from the father one, though, I really don't know if you could count that as a fight since, you know, it was essentially just him generating a shield around him and deflecting attacks, but we have the Wrath and, uh, Scar fight, and we have the two of them going, and... I mean, there, there's an irony in both of the deaths. So with the Wrath fight, you know, Wrath is called Wrath because he's supposed to be the embodiment of Father's Wrath. He gets killed by somebody who the whole series was, was, uh, was defined by his anger and his rage. So he essentially got killed by Wrath. And then we have, well, technically he didn't kill him. I mean, even with when um, when Pride was attacked, he was being attacked, he was like, "Oh no, Ed's gonna kill me." And then um, Lee soul says, "You know, if you still think that, then you still have no idea, or you still don't understand Edward Elric." And so Ed technically didn't kill him as much as render him powerless by destroying his stone. Um, and turning him into like a fetus or whatever but yeah it's like he was pride was prideful and even though he thinks that he is like superior he still he still loses in the end like he he uh because instead of losing gracefully his pride also then like made him believe made him fearful and yeah.
0: Yeah, I just. The Scar Wrath fight was really amazing. The way it ended with Wrath stabbing Scar with a broken piece of sword in his mouth was pretty awesome. Too bad, you know, he's not on the side I'm cheering for. And I love, again, Scar finds the balance when they create the anti, the reverse transmutation circle. And I love how Scar is like, you know what, there's a little bit of both sides in. And I I think him accepting that is uh, another kind of uh, you know I guess a road to redemption for him, kind of accepting that he's done wrong, but he wants to be good. So I I love that. And on the pride fight, it it was awesome seeing. I I would never say I I would never think of myself saying this, but it was like awesome seeing Kimberly. And of course, Kimberly loves to be in the presence of screaming, tortured souls. Like, he's like, this is like joy for me. He's like, I'm at like a front row of
1: my favorite concert here.
0: And of course, that'd just be like Kimberly.
1: Yeah. And he. So, like, the one thing that stood out to me too was that even though Kimberly is a disturbing person. A despicable person, all of that. He still had like a code of honor. I mean, we saw a little bit of that earlier when uh, Scar attacked him, and those people who were on the train were saying like, "Hey, uh, we should stop and whatnot." And he's like, "No, keep going. This is war. This is what war is all about." You know, he he. I think he believed like, "You die with dignity. You die with honor, uh, and seeing pride, essentially." You know, as it, as he's about to die, rather than dying with honor, he he cowers and tries to take over another body that made him decide to step in. Yeah,
0: and just seeing Pride's true form, I wonder what's gonna be of this. It's like a tiny, tiny, tiny little Pride, so. Which I enjoyed seeing because I enjoyed seeing uh, Envy. Envy is kind of singular form. So it's interesting seeing Pride singular form. And, you know, we kind of end on that note and Father's out there sucking up human lives to make uh, a Philosopher's Stone in real time. So I'm pumped up. I know where, like, I could see the finish line and I'm excited to just, like, cross it.
1: Me too. I can't wait to see what happens next uh, as everybody joins up in the, the final fight against Father. I mean, we saw everybody go, yeah, I'm excited to see what happens. But yeah, I think that's all I have for this episode. What about I mean, you?
0: I could talk about this episode for days, but I think I'll, I'm going to save my energy
1: for next week's episode. So. Yeah. And then we're also going to have like a of everything at the end. until then, I want
0: to thank you all for listening. Uh, as always,
1: I'm I'm
0: Jimmy. Bye. Bye.